Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. We are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Emma. Thank you for joining us today. We are super excited to announce that we have officially hit our 1,000th download a few days ago. Shout out to all of you guys for your amazing support. We are honored to have you listen to our humble little podcast. Thank you so very much. Many of you probably remember last month when I did a Facebook Live from outside the Ursuline Convent in New Orleans. That was the day before I got the um, terrible COVID plague. During the video, I promised to bring you more details in a podcast uh, down the road. Well, today is officially down the road. However, I'm not only bringing you the Ursuline Convent story, but a few other tales of vampires in New Orleans. And actually just one other tale and then some true life um, little tidbits that Emma and I are going to talk about. For those of you who do not know, vampires are my absolute favorite monster out there. Um, Some might even say that I'm obsessed. Yeah, they're probably up there for me too. Just like all every movie that has to do with vampires is usually awesome, even if it's horrible. Yeah, it's my they're my favorite monster subculture. I guess would be yeah. the best way to. The first put scary it. movie I ever watched was The Lost Boys, and from there on, it just bing, kept on going. Yeah, I The Lost Boys still to this day I think is my favorite vampire movie. Yeah, then probably Interview with the Vampire. Interview is great. I um I think I like Lost Boys more though because it's I don't know it's so cheesy and mm-hmm. the interview is very serious. Yeah, Lost Boys is cool because it like combines the stupid like '80s subculture of like punks and like weirdos, and then you have actual vampires. If you have not seen it, you need to. That's yeah. a cult classic. And we have to forewarn you: there is a ridiculous scene where they're at a um, at the Santa. They're at the. I can't remember what town it is. Um, I don't know, Santa some Summer. town in California. And they're at the pier, and this guy's playing a saxophone. Those of you who have seen it know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and those of you who haven't will know once you watch He's it. He's like an incredibly buff, <laughs> super huge. Like oiled up, sweaty man. And recently we were like interested in where he has gone in life. And if any of you are familiar with who that is, he is still doing that. He like goes to clubs and bars and he plays his silly little saxophone tune and that's like all he does. He still wears the pants that are like that's cutting not, off his circulation. That's not all he does. He also gyrates and wears yeah. himself up a lot. It's quite a scene. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's super great. I am really excited for these stories uh, because, like I said, vampires are my favorite favorite. But before we get to that, we have to talk about today's drink. If you are new to us, uh, go back and listen to our other podcast for sure. But just to give you a little background, every episode that we do, we feature a signature cocktail. And we try to find something that either goes along with the subject matter or that comes from the area that the 
podcast takes place or the material that we took from there. And since we've already done a New Orleans episode before, we used a New Orleans recipe that we didn't really like. It was that rum brandy milk, milk punch. Yeah, that brandy milk punch. It was heinous. It was our first episode, and neither one of us really cared for that. And it really launched us into a horrible chain of milky drink events that neither one of us want to go back down that road. No, if it's not a white Russian, I do not want it. No. So we decided to go with a corny and hokey but very obvious choice for today, and that is the classic Bloody Mary. So I am loving life right now. Yeah, we've already made ours because there's a few extra steps when you make a Bloody Mary, but... Is one of my favorite drinks ever. It's kind of weird to be drinking it at 7 p.m. <laughs> Usually not the time in which someone consumes a Bloody Mary, but I'm not mad about it. It's definitely a good hangover drink if you go out and have a little too much fun on Saturday. Wake up, make yourself a Bloody Mary, and you can recover. One of our um, top fans on Facebook commented and said it's also one of her favorite drinks. So, Chloe, I hope you're having a Bloody Mary <laughs> while you listen. <laughs> And, she is. She also yeah. is the type to go into a bar at 10 p.m. and order a Bloody Mary. True story. I've been there with her when it's happened. <laughs> no shame. I know. So, um, Bloody Marys. Really easy. If you are not familiar, you just need some tomato juice, or you can just buy Bloody Mary mix, pre-made, and some vodka. And Emma and I also put some Worcestershire sauce, salt and pepper, some things just to kind of dress it up and... You can tailor it to make it spicy if you like spicy. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. If you're not into drinking alcohol, you can make a Virgin Mary where you just mix all the ingredients but leave the vodka out, and it's also really tasty. Mm-hmm. I like to put hot sauce in mine, but we got the pre-made spicy Bloody Mary mix, so I didn't do that this time. But I recommend adding pepper or something in there just so it adds a little flavor to it. I did put some pepper in ours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I know. You said you don't have to, but you should. (laughs) I could actually use a little hot sauce in mine, but I didn't want to get heartburn, so I actually pathetically have my antacid sitting here (laughs) because heartburn is my um, not good friend these days. It's like everywhere. It is my nemesis. No, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for something else, but it wouldn't come. My foe. It is definitely on your downfall. Yeah. All right. So if you have your Bloody Marys ready, we're gonna get into the story. There's really not a whole lot of different information than what I talked about during the Facebook Live. But if you haven't watched that, then this will be all new for you. And I tried to add in a few small details here and there. So what happened was the Ursuline Convent and the Casket Girls happened back in the early 1700s. And there's I looked and some places say 1728, others say 1730. It just kind of varies. I've noticed that historically when things happened that long ago, the records weren't superly well kept. So finding an exact date is not always the easiest thing to do. Well, back then they probably weren't thinking it was going to be history. So they weren't like, I'm not going to jot down the exact year that this happened. Yeah. So the King of France, King Louis XV, decided that he wanted to send a group of women to the United States. So he charged the Bishop of Quebec with handpicking a group of girls to sail to New Orleans and marry some French men who had previously traveled there and established residency. The reason why they did this and the reason it was necessary is because most of the original settlers from France to New Orleans were men. So the guy-girl ratio was really um, off. The goal of France was to establish a long-time settlement in America. 
Of course, that's not possible with just a bunch of men there. And I don't think there were a whole lot of local women really willing to marry the Frenchmen. So after the girls were selected, they, they were selected aboard the Nouvelle Orleans, which was a boat, and they were really excited and knew that they were going to go on this fantastic adventure, and it was a six-month-long journey to the New World. And like I said before, spending six months on a boat really um, is hard on the body. It was anything but easy, and many of the girls developed sickness, the kind you would expect for someone to get being at sea for a long time. Or that's what they want us to believe, because the women have some... Some people don't really necessarily believe that they were just sickly girls getting off the boat. We'll just put it that way. The ship arrived on the Louisiana shore, and the women were greeted by an eager crowd of prospective husbands and others from the town. So there's this group of men, they hear their brides are coming, they're all excited, they gather, and they bring their friends from town, everybody's standing there, and they had heard that these were really beautiful women who were the coming best to of the best. Yeah, who were coming to marry them. They were handpicked. And naturally, you would be excited to see your beautiful bride, potential bride coming off a, sh- a ship. The men, many of whom were very unsavory to begin with, were instantly disappointed in the women who exited the ship. Instead of the pristine beauties that had left France, the girls were thin, pale, and malnourished. Many of them were rumored to be so sick with yellow fever and tuberculosis that they were coughing up blood, which is kind of, they think, maybe where the vampire thing came in. But they still, they exited, they clutched their coffin-shaped cassette to their chest and stepped off the boat ready to start their new lives. You know, it's a bunch of young girls are really excited. So the coffin-shaped cassette, just so you have a little background on it, it was a trunk that carried all of their belongings with them that they brought, like, their clothes. And oftentimes they would have, like, a small dowry, which is just some money offering for someone to marry them and things to make women more attractive to maybe some stranger. Or not even necessarily a stranger, but to make them look more attractive to somebody who might not be the lowest of the low, Mm -hmm. to try and make them get a better husband kind of thing. They step off the boat, and before they could even make it to the Ursuline convent, the rumors began to fly around. I can't say that I blame the superstitious inhabitants of New Orleans for shying away from the girls, because they were said to be so pale that their skin immediately reddened and blistered within a few minutes of exposure to the subtropic sun. And if you haven't been to New Orleans before, it is really, really, really hot and sunny um, for a decent amount of the year and if you've been to Florida you know what that sun does after a few minutes but they were like instantly blisters and reddening and it was not a normal reaction to the sun however they had been on the boat for six Six months months, and they're also coming from France where like they're you're getting European weather in France you're not getting super hot like New Orleans right I'm assuming that if they're on a boat for six months in a row and they already looked so sickly that they probably were not like exiting the lower part of the ship very often probably not so they they probably were not ready for what they were getting tossed into they were not so despite all that the nuns of the ursuline convent took them in and it was the job of the sisters to house the girls and offer them an education before they found a husband they were charged with teaching them like how to be a proper lady and continuing any studies that they may not have fully finished when they were in France. 
the sisters were kind of a little nervous because they kept hearing whispers of pale all throughout the crowds anytime one of the girls would walk through the streets when they were starting to kind of pick up and pay a little more attention like okay maybe there is something a little weird but they were sworn to take care of them it was their responsibility and they took that very seriously there were some people in town who even swore that the girls were responsible for the sudden rise in infant mortality at this time there was a big spike in infant mortality rates in new orleans and there was also many different types of plagues that were traveling through the 1700s were notorious for awful plagues illness. and illness you had like i said tuber- tuberculosis and things so it is possible Yellow fever literally yeah. the plague <laughs> it is possible that the girls had some of those things and they brought them with them and when they got off it could have started spreading and killing people but that's not what the town was thinking my question is if you have this dude who's sending these women over who are supposed to be like the best of the best as like an offering or like a gift to these French men who are now settled in New Orleans. Why would you not make sure that the environment of the ship or like the living condition of the ship was sustainable enough for six months of a trip there so that they weren't going to become violently ill. They weren't going to contract this disease. They weren't going to be like whatever happened to them. And those six months is a long ass time to be on water. Definitely. Like insanely long time. You would think that they would make sure that the women that they're sending, who they're telling these guys are like the best that they have to offer would be properly taken care of and not have to face horrible illness. I think the conditions that they were subjected to were just the conditions of traveling by sea. It was one of the only ways to travel. It was the only way to travel from I continent guess, to continent. But I don't know, like. I think it's just a hard know. way to go. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you would then you'd probably think that he would like dumb it down a little bit. Like, okay, the women are gonna get, are gonna look like they've been out at sea <laughs> for six months. They might not be French princesses, but they're all, what we got. Yeah, and they'll get better looking as you feed them, <laughs> yeah, right? And let them walk freely in the sun. Their sun when might they come blister. Out. Their skin might blister in the sun, but it's all we have. And maybe the trip wasn't supposed to take that long. Maybe it was supposed to be shorter, and they had to ration or. I mean, who knows? I do not know that information. So, like I said, the infant mortality rate really rose. And many wondered if it was the girls themselves stealing into homes late at night and drinking the blood of the babies. I'm not sure if many of the babies were found drained of blood, but they were just waking up and their babies were dead. Probably a lot of um, crib death, I would imagine. Did... Others wondered if the caskets contained a much more sinister presence. Locals were convinced, either way, that vampires were unleashed upon them like a plague, and they were sure the girls were behind the events. Unimpressed by the girls' haggard looks and afraid of them because of the swirling cloud of rumors, the local men treated the women poorly. Some of the casket girls were forced into unwanted marriages where they were beaten and mistreated by their husbands. Others were considered to be so damaged that they were not wed at all and were forced into prostitution. So remember the King of France had the Bishop of Quebec pick out some of the best girls to move to New Orleans and establish the population. He was super unhappy with what was happening to the women and said, that's it. I need them to come back to France. So he demanded their return. The ones who were not happily married or were forced into prostitution were like, 
thank you. We will happily come back. Yeah, shout out King Louis the Fifteenth. Yeah, that was a pretty solid thing to do. Yeah. After seeing the girls off, the sisters of the Ursuline convent took their casket-shaped chests and put them in the third-floor attic of the convent. Convent. They decided they were just going to store their belongings. The chests are said to have still contained the girls' belongings when they were placed up there into the fully locked and shuttered floor. The windows and doors were sealed shut. Before this, they opened it to put the things in, and then during the whole time that the chests were up there. However, a short while later, the nuns returned to the third floor and found that the chests that they believed contained the girls' belongings were now empty. Confused, they scoured the entirety of the third floor, searching for the items, but none were ever found. Understandably afraid that the rumors about the girls may have been true, the nuns bolted the doors shut and nailed the windows closed with nails, wait for it, blessed by the Pope. So they were so serious that they were like, hey, Pope. Taking out the big guns. Pretty sure these bitches y'all sent over from France were some kind of a demon. I need you to bless these nails. So they did that. They shuttered it closed. And this seemed to kind of make everybody feel a little bit better for a while. But it did start up... A little bit more of the rumors about vampires because that seems like a bit of a uh, extreme reaction mm-hmm. to some empty suitcases, right. for lack of better words. Could it be that they were like so heavy that they thought things were in them and they just weren't? I don't think so because I don't think the girls actually took things with them. Like they weren't traveling with things. I don't know why, why the girls wouldn't have taken stuff? their. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't have taken the cash. It's just weird that like they come over with. I'm assuming probably all of their belongings if they're planning on setting mm-hmm. a life up there and then they just leave them i mean they're probably like get me the hell out of here yeah <laughs> i can't get a Where's new dress boat? in I france don't i don't need to be here i think so i think it and it might have been that the boat was so much smaller they were going back on that there wasn't room for all of these things another six months to endure that too yeah oh, either way the story is still told on the dark streets of the french quarter and it is said that at night if you look long enough you will see the shutters fly open on the third floor and a strange mist will flow out into the air. I have stood there and I have tried to watch, and I haven't seen it. No. But these two paranormal investigators in 1978 decided they were going to go and document it. And it is rumored that they had been kicked off the property previously because they were um, trespassing and doing things that they didn't want. So they decided they were going to just set up camp across the street and they weren't trespassing. No one could stop them. They set up their camera, pointed at the Ursuline convent all night long. And as you would imagine, when it got late at night and the hours started to pass and nothing was happening, the men got tired and they just fell asleep. They left their camera rolling when they were sleeping, though, and the camera picked up the shutters opening and closing twice. And then it went black, like the camera shut off. Nothing else was recorded. The next morning, the bodies of the investigators were found torn apart as if ravaged by the claws of a large animal. And the strangest thing, they were drained of blood. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Chupacabra. (laughs) It definitely was. I've never seen a chupacabra in New Orleans. I've seen lots of crazy shit, but that is not one. So, yeah, that is the story of the Ursuline Convent. Any thoughts besides chupacabra? Well, I guess, like... So I guess we're to assume that that place is haunted now, but like, if we're also to assume that they're vampires, 
why would it be haunted at the same time? No, I think we're to assume that the empty chest contained vampires and that the reason why they were gone when the nuns went up there was because they had left. Because there are people that think that the girls weren't vampires, but they looked so sickly because the vampires were feeding off of them on the ship. And that the things that their casket-shaped cassettes contain were actually the vampires. That they smuggled vampires mm, into yeah, the Yeah, their weak New asses Orleans. were carrying vampires off of them. Maybe they weren't weak when they started. Who mm. knows? I mean, it's kind of a crazy story. It's not as crazy it's as... It's fun to believe. Yeah, it's not as crazy as the next story of the Carter Brothers, though, which we will be back to give you in one second. We need a little more Bloody Mary time. BRB. back with more Bloody Marys and I just had to have some Tums because it's not cool man. What does a Tum taste like with Bloody Mary in your mouth? I didn't do it at the same time. <laughs> not like swallowing, Wash it down. swallowing Tums with Bloody Mary. So our second story is also from New Orleans and it is about the Carter brothers. In 1932 a wild story by a young girl in New Orleans sparked the interest of the police. She claimed she had been tied up by two brothers in an apartment on Royal Street. Not only did she claim she had been tied up, but she said there were other victims still there and that the brothers were keeping them captive so they could drink their blood. Okay. Kind of creepy. Sounds like mm -hmm. vampires. Were they cute? I don't know. I didn't <laughs> see pictures. This changes my opinion <laughs> on things. Uh, it was definitely not like a Twilight set here. It was... Some creepy was not psychos. Lestat or Louis no. involved. The girl said she was only able to escape because the brothers were careless when they tied her ropes. So, I don't know what happened. They got blood drunk and they tied her <laughs> ropes sloppily and she was able to get out. <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. The police agreed to follow her to the home, even though they did not truly believe her tale. As they entered the house or the apartment on the corner of Royal and St. Anne, and I'm going to have to look for it next time I go, they were shocked and horrified to learn the woman was telling the truth. Shocker. I mean, right. She's telling the truth. It would have been kind of a tall tale and a little whacked <laughs> right. out otherwise. There were four other victims found in the house, and they were all in terrible shape, almost dead, and also tied to chairs. Like the young woman who had escaped... These women also had their wrists cut and wrapped with bandages covered in fresh blood. There were other bodies stashed haphazardly in other rooms, and the smell of decay was said to be so strong that everybody was kind of retching in the apartment. So these guys were um, not real good at disposing of the people after they were finished with them. It sounds like a really disgusting yeah. place. The other girls all related the same terrible ordeal to the officers. They said that the brothers left early each morning just before daybreak and returned every evening just after the sun had set, which is what kind of behavior, Emma? Some serious vampire behavior. They're gone. They're, it's sun's coming up. We've got to go. Yeah, you think they stay in during when the sun's out and well, leave at nighttime. How do we know where they're going, though? I think the point was they were, like, going underground or something. Like, <laughs> okay. Well, that's... Isn't that what vampires do? 
No. They're going to their coffins, duh. Yeah, but their coffins should be indoors if they're smart vampires. Well, they didn't know where they were going. They just weren't there they with them. They just weren't there. Yeah. So. They're going to work. <laughs> That's where they were going. Possibly, but they stayed up <laughs> all night long getting blood drunk. Immediately upon arriving at the house every night, the men would take the bandages off the lady's wrists, use a knife to reopen the wounds to the point that the blood would flow freely into a cup, and then they would drink the blood. The women said the brothers repeated the process until they had drunk their fill and their thirst had been suppressed. So they just went from girl to girl to girl, just slicing them open and drinking their blood. Yeah. Not exactly delicious. My Bloody Mary looks less appetizing right now. But I'm still going to drink it. Yeah. Once they probably they... didn't have pepper flakes in their blood. <laughs> they might have. I wonder. <laughs> Do you think people like... We'll talk about that later. We're going to talk about real, quote, vampires these days. Once they were finished, they would redress the victim's wounds with clean bandages, which sounds like they were maybe being a little nice, but they were not. Other than drinking from the girls, the brothers did not interact with them. They didn't feed them. They didn't do anything. They were in really bad shape. The women said that they didn't seem to care about their well-being whatsoever. They were simply food to be used until they died due to the extreme blood loss. And then apparently they just stuck them in another room and went about their business. Yeah. The cops really quickly realized the men did not know the the woman had escaped. So they decided that they were going to set in motion this plan to lie in wait until the brothers returned, which is actually really smart. Mm-hmm. When the duo came back right after sunset, like every other day, the police were able to apprehend them. The brothers' story was that they were vampires, and if they were not arrested, they would have to continue killing because they had no choice. They could not control their bloodlust, blood and they would just keep going. So it was kind of like one of those things, like, if you don't arrest me, I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) Cops are probably like, these crazy motherfuckers. (laughs) My question is, why would they ever not arrest them? Right. You have to arrest us. Well, yeah, there's two dead bodies, four tied up girls, and one out in the, you know, lobby waiting. So either way, they went ahead and arrested them. They were tried, convicted, and eventually executed, which in this case I think is very warranted. But the story does not end there. Years later, another member of the Carter family passed away. So if you're not familiar with New Orleans, we've talked about it before. Uh, It's below sea level, so you can't bury bodies underground. Everything goes into a crypt. Most families have a family crypt, and what happens is you bury someone. I say bury, but you place them in the crypt, and then when someone else dies, you go in and you dump the bones, and you put the next body on top, that kind of thing. When they went to put the brothers in the family crypt, or put the new Carter family member in the family crypt, the brothers were not there. There were no bones, there were no ashes, there was no clothing left over from a decomposed body. There was literally no evidence that they had ever been placed in there. So many people think that the reason for that is because they were in fact vampires and they simply walked out. Because if you execute a vampire by human ways, you know, the typical ways that we execute vampires. If you're familiar with vampire, or people, if you're familiar with vampire folklore, that would not in turn kill them. Mm-hmm. So. Gotta cut their head off. Yeah. There was literally nothing. So maybe next time you're in New Orleans, you'll see them wandering around the dark corners of the French Quarter looking for their next victim. Imagine being, like, part of the jury <laughs> on that trial. <laughs> like... 
What do you even like? I don't. I don't know. I mean, that sounds horrible for everyone involved. Well, yeah, especially for the women. I mean, it doesn't sound so horrible for the men. I think they had a pretty good time before they were well, yeah, but executed. Also, like, maybe. Well, I would wonder if they were living there. I if they're like leaving all this time, they're probably not sleeping there, so they don't have to deal with the stench of decay. They probably lived somewhere else and yeah. rented that place, and that was their little fun palace yeah. or whatever. I don't know. It's That's not. Gross. It's not a lifestyle. Lifestyle. I, I understand, but we are going to talk a little bit about vampire subculture and how there is a pretty large amount of people who claim to be real vampires that currently live in New Orleans. And you and I have talked about this before, not on the podcast, but just normal conversation because that's how our normal conversations go. Let's talk about vampire subculture. But uh, there is actually groups of people that live in New Orleans that are kind of like members of a vampire society and club, and it's exclusive. You can't just be some... There's a name. I'm going to look it up. There's definitely a name. It's crude or something. Vampire. So... Basically, what they do is they find people who are willing to be paid to donate their blood. And they're you, called the New Orleans Vampire Association. They have a .org website oh, if you would like to. There you go. Here, I'll just read this to you here. This is their little tidbit on their okay. page. Um, the New Orleans Vampire Association is nonprofit, a nonprofit organization com- comprised, oh my goodness, comprised of self-identifying vampires representing an alliance between houses within the community and the greater New Orleans area. Founded in 2005, NOVA was established to provide support and structure for the vampire and other kin subcultures and to provide educational and charitable outreach to those in need. Huh. I mean, they got a .org, so they're relatively legit. They have events. Mm -hmm. They do have events, and some of them look really fun, and we always joke about how the party at the beginning of the movie Blade, if you've not seen Blade, it's awesome, it's got Wesley Snipes, but they're in like this club, and it's all like, oons, 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 and they're dancing, and then all the vampires like get blood sprayed on them from the ceiling, which I think they are actually, like, if I remember correctly, are pretty charitable, like they, for like the big three holidays, um... Of the year, they will do, like, food drives and stuff Mm -hmm. where they'll actually, like, feed the homeless population. But the only reason that I know this exists is because when I went to college in New Orleans, um, I was talking to someone that I worked with in my school's library, and she was talking about how she was going to go donate, like, plasma after school. Because if you've ever been a broke college kid, you will try to get money in any way possible. And a good way to do that is to donate your blood or your plasma. And uh, she mentioned to me that there is also a way to make a pretty decent amount of money. And that is to sign up and fill out this form. Because these people, like, when we say vampires, like, obviously, like, their fangs don't retract, whatever. They can go out in the sunlight. But they are actually practicing, like, partaking in drinking human blood. Mm -hmm. And so you can sign up to be, like, one of the human... Blood bags. Yeah. And they will, like, force you to do, like, an STD test and screening to make sure you don't have, like any contagious bloodborne diseases and they will pay you to like go to them and let them like drink from you and sometimes you don't even have to sign up to be have them like physically drink from you but they can like no they'll like put nick blood, you yeah and, and like put it in yeah. a cup and things like we but just... I, I feel like you'd probably get paid more if you let them well, drink yeah. from the source because i think it's more of also a sensual yeah inter- interaction and i actually read one of the articles I was looking at that there are some people who consider themselves to be sensual vampires 
And they say that they don't drink blood, but they actually harvest the energy from their sexual partners, and that's how they sustain their life Oh, like force. emotional vampires. Yeah. But they, they were, the lady was like, hey, I'm a sensual vampire. I get the energy from my sexual partners. And then there was someone else who said that they are kind of like almost like an empath vampire where they like just being near someone, they can get their energy from them that way. And that you don't sign up for. People just suck in your energy when you sit next to them. That does not sound cool. Yeah, I mean, no. Either way, there is definitely a lot of vampire um, folklore that goes back to New Orleans. We mentioned the interview with the vampire earlier, and there's a vampire tour you can take in New Orleans. I've taken it. It's really cool and interesting. They actually, it's more of a history tour than anything. Um, occasionally, they'll have one of their actors walk by and you know dressed in a cape and kind of scare you it's fun it's kind of you know cheesy but i liked it but they took you around and showed you all of the places that uh they used in the french quarter to shoot interview with the vampire and that in itself is really entertaining and exciting to me because Anne rice the author of interview with the vampire actually lived in new orleans for a time and i'm a super a while. big yeah and i'm a super big fan of hers i think she is tremendously talented and so it was one of those things too where I really enjoyed watching or looking and seeing where they had filmed that movie because that movie's really good mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of really cool historically accurate um, places from the French Quarter that make you feel like you were transported back into the 17 and 1800s yeah. in the movie. There's also that vampire shop like in the French Quarter mm-hmm. where the vampire like, boutique. Yeah, you like go in and there's like little knickknacks and touristy stuff you can buy. But there's also, like, a room in the back that you're not allowed, like, under any circumstances to go in. You know what I'm talking about? It's, like, blocked off by a curtain, mm-hmm. and it says, do not, like, inquire, I guess, about, like, entering there. It's probably some idol or, like, um, what do they call those? Shrines. It probably has, like, some shrines and offerings and things. Or that's where the sexual vampires are. <laughs> I don't know. It's a cool place. I've never bought anything from there. I have. I bought a, um, a book, uh, just a little bitty vampires of new orleans book it's literally like a pocket-sized book but i liked it and then there was a point in time when i had officially lost my mind for about a month where i thought i wanted a tattoo of um fang marks <laughs> yeah i did i really did um but they had like a little say edward was here underneath it no this is pre-twilight <laughs> um but they had like little it was like a tattoo like oh, those yeah. rub on tattoos mm-hmm. you know put water on it or whatever temporary yeah, so I bought one of those, and I tried it out on my wrist to see if I actually wanted the... Um... The wrist would be a better spot than the neck. Yeah, I definitely wasn't going to get it on my neck. Because <laughs> people cause, do yeah. get those tattoos on the neck, but... I mean, it would not be the craziest thing for somebody who no. likes vampires as much as I do, but I don't think my job would be very understanding. I'd probably have to wear, like, a cuff. Well, you just tell them that you got bit by a vampire. <laughs> you can't cover it up. This is just the mark of the beast. Needless to say, <laughs> I did not get a vampire bite tattoo because I after about would have. Would have been sick. after about two <laughs> days of that on, I was like, this is really fucking stupid. <laughs> and I took it off. So thankfully it was not permanent. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been cool. I mean, <laughs> that's what you want to say. During the Twilight era, you would have been freaking popular. Or no one would have <laughs> talked to me because it would have been like, who is this weirdo? Why does she have the vampire bite on her wrist i'm not goth enough for that i want to be that girl i really do i want to be that cool but i am not 
I would forever have to have my hair cut in like this spiky pixie and wear like chains. Not, I don't I, know. No, I think you're overthinking a very tiny tattoo on your wrist that people know. would probably think was literally just like an actual bite mark from something. Yeah, which is... They wouldn't be like, oh, this freak has vampire fangs tattooed on her. They'd be like, well, dude, what's wrong with your wrist? Yeah, they'd probably think it had some <laughs> contagious disease on my arm. You have like a tick on your Ew. arm. Gross. I mean, maybe. It's got my new tattoo idea. Are you going to do it? Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. It's like, don't make my bad mistake for me, oh. please. Pass my vampire window. Yeah. All right. Well, Emma's up next for her story. Um, not next, like in this episode, but next time we come back. We have some exciting things in the mix, too. We are actually going to go and talk to some local people at the Mineral Springs Mall in... Alton, and we'll talk about that in a whole podcast, but it's super haunted, and they're going to let us come in and talk to them about all the cool things they've experienced. I'm really excited. That's in a couple days. We get to do that. So, I don't know. Maybe we'll do that next, and then do yours. We'll see. We're just kind of we're just kind of going with the flow yeah, right we're now. We're not really on a strict schedule. No. We're just enjoying it. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying also. We really appreciate you joining us today and always. Please don't forget to like and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Leave a five-star review or rating. And please share your stories with us via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or through Monsters and Mixers podcast on Facebook. We'll see you next time when we dive into another terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts. And make some toasts. But don't get bad tattoos. (laughs) 